This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. This is a very exciting time for the CW. The shows are not back yet. Well, except for Starkle. But, like, we're a little under a month out from things dropping, which, of course, means that we're getting news about mid-season things and gearing up for um, Fall TV to land on the CW and join Stargirl, who unfortunately had to leave the pack, what, like a whole month before? <laughs> um, she's been out here with her cosmic staff fighting fighting on her own for such a long time. And she's been doing so well. So guys, continue to watch on Wednesdays, by the way, and stream. Stream start mm-hmm. uh, But kicking off the news section, it looks like Jesse L. Martin's uh, pilot for The Rationals, the series, is doing fine. They ordered more scripts, which is a good sign, which also means that that five episode allotment for The Flash looks like it's going to stick for Jesse. Yeah, it's kind of probably bittersweet news for Flash fans because, of course, we love to see Jesse succeed. It's what he deserves. But at the same time, it means that the rumored five episode can't that he will be appearing in in the flash is fine what we now know is the final season stands the hope was or the thought was that if the irrational pilot or series didn't go forward jesse would be back on the flash for more episodes and maybe even still a series regular but if the irrational goes ahead it means that those five episodes will be upheld and of course with everything going on and it being the final season five episodes of joe west is absolutely a gift we can we'll definitely take out but i know I'm, I'm sure a lot of flash fans would have liked to have seen a lot more of them in the final season i know i hope that it, with the five episodes that he's given that they do something with joe west's character he's kind of been not fitting into the role he had when we first um launched into the series and he, i mean he's still supportive and he's doing what he needs to do and he has storylines it just feels like we don't get enough joe west yeah, it's kind of like they don't make the most of him. They made more more use of him in the Armageddon crossover when he was dead off screen than they ever made when he was actually alive and on screen. And so I can understand why as an actor, you might want to pursue other opportunities if that's what you're getting. Yes. You think there'll be five consecutive episodes or like um, s- sporadic throughout the season? So it doesn't feel like he's missing. He'll, he'll just like pop in and out throughout the season. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Of course, because they've been using him so sparingly, they could get away with having him pop up every now and again. But even in a 13 episode season, that might get a little obvious. So I think maybe the safest thing to do here would be to come up with a reason as to why he's not in the early part of the season and then bring him back for the final five episodes. Does that make sense? That's what I'm hoping, because I fear that if they do, like they just cherry pick where they want to put him in the season, that he won't actually have a good storyline and you'll just mm-hmm. be seeing Joe like sitting on the couch or out to coffee. And I mean, that'd be lovely to see Jesse L. Martin, but I want Joe to have a good last hurrah like everybody else. I know we had plenty of that last season showing up here, popping into that coffee shop and be nice to see him have an actual story for the final season. Yes, and get to play D&D with his daughter since everybody else had to do it. (laughs) But in other news, um, it's been confirmed that Chad L. Coleman will be Bruno Mannheim in Superman and Lois season three, which I can't say I'm excited, but that's because I still don't know anything about this man. But I do love that it's going to um, 
be like Lois's story, it seems like. I mean, obviously Clark will be involved and there'll be a showdown with Superman. But according to the official description, he's known most for uh, in Metropolis as a local hero and philanthropist who survived the struggling neighborhoods in the city. But Lois believes there's something else going on. And that this is a facade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she's <laughs> she's there, right? She knows and then the man's too good. He's too good. Uh, she thinks he's a career criminal and the head of a notorious organization called Intergang. And with some new leads, she's getting closer to being able to prove that, which of course means danger, Lois, but I'm excited either way. After the Morgan Edge and Ali Alston situations, I think nobody should doubt Lois Lane's intuition. Um, I think we're heading for a similar direction here. We don't know an awful lot about Bruno Mannheim. From what I know, he's the leader of the criminal organization Intergang, which seems to be where this is going. I know we're supposed to have ties to the Superman villain Darkseid. So maybe that, maybe Bruno Mannheim will pave the way for the arrival of Darkseid for the end of the season. And that will be how Superman gets involved. We don't know yet, but it is, it is quite exciting that they're once again going for the more grounded route here. Superman at Lois as, uh, you, as off this world, out of this world as the show can get. It, it, it finds a grounded way of telling these larger than life stories. And I, I feel like that's going to continue in season three. I'm really excited to see what Chad L. Coleman brings to the role of Bruno Mannheim because I was a big fan of him on The Walking Dead and on Arrow. So he's got a formidable screen presence. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him particularly go up against Lois, just sharing the screen together. I do wonder with, um, you know, this being a villain they chose that I think the general audience won't know that well if it gives them the ability to do like a fresh slate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those um, who've seen his iterations in, other, in comics will have opinions, but it is, I think they've been smart about the way they're choosing certain villains with Superman Lois. Totally agree. I have to say, I didn't even realize, me with the comic book knowledge, like I didn't even realize Ali Alston was a comic book character until after the season was over. Oh, so she was. She was. Um, uh, wow. the, the character Parasite, one of the alternate versions of her was called Alexandra Alston in the comics. So that was uh, Superman at Lois's uh, realistic adaptation of her by making her the cult leader. And then the inverse world and the bizarro and all of that stuff that followed. So I think we're at a bit of a crossroads here where it could absolutely pull off the same formula here with Bruno Mannheim, but is it three times too much? Will it come up with a different way to reinvent the formula rather than having Morgan Edge turn out to be a Kryptonian, Ali Alston turn out to be a parasite? Will Bruno Mannheim pave the way for Darkseid? Will he be Darkseid? Will, will something happen? So I think it's going to be an interesting time. Yes, they can absolutely make the same formula work again, but this could be an interesting time to maybe switch it up. I hope that's what they do so that we can just stay with Bruno. Not to say that he can't introduce Darkseid towards mm -hmm. the end, and that's where we get for season four. But it would be nice to just like have a straight-on villain in the whole season to kind of be um, an investigative season. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think that's where the show thrives most, when it's on Lois. I love the family dynamic. You know me. I love the super-powered uh, battles in the sky. But I feel like possibly the best writing in the show is always Lois centric or family centric. And as long as that heart, that centerpiece is there for season three, I think we're in for a good ride. 2023, get here soon. <laughs> Hurry it up already. Yes. Speaking of families. Uh, so when we were talking about a Thanksgiving movie, a holiday movie of some kind, um, having the CW like resuscitate the TV movie, we did not. In fact, I think we specifically said not the Waltons, but we're getting the Waltons. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's not even the gift we didn't ask for. It's the gift we specifically didn't ask for, but they're giving it to us anyway. Yeah, no one blame us for conjuring this. It's not on (laughs) us that the mole misread our intentions. (laughs) Not at all. I feel like like, next time we're just like triple underline in our speech, not this. Um, But so it's the 50th anniversary of the Waltons. So they're doing a Waltons Thanksgiving uh, come November 20th, that's a Sunday at 8 p.m. You'll be able to join the rebooted Waltons um, in a follow-up tale to the, I believe that was a Christmas movie last year, uh, Waltons Homecoming? Homecoming. I think it was Homecoming. homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Homecoming. Like, so it's Thanksgiving in 1934. And the depression has affected everyone. <laughs> like this, so John Walton has found his way to provide for his family through the farm and picking up odd jobs with whoever the Baldwin sisters are. And I'll say, I have watched Waltons with my mom. Um, I don't remember the Baldwin sisters. Perhaps she'll be able to give me a refresher when we watch the Walt- this um, Thanksgiving special. Um, but It's also the annual Harvest Festival Fair, and there's going to be carnival rides, talent shows, and pie contests. Is this sounds wholesome? That's because it's going to be incredibly wholesome, everyone, because it's Thanksgiving and it's all about family. And of course, life lessons. So John Boy is going to learn the true meaning of taking responsibility. Mary Ellen's going to come to understand patience and collaboration. Grandma's going to win something complicated. Oh, finds that winning can be complicated. And Olivia shares her healing heart with every other Walton family member at a time when each of them needs it most. And also, there's going to be a young boy who enters the Walton's world to change their life forever. They're going to be transformed through love, faith, and kindness. I'm going to assume this young man, or this young boy, is going to be adopted by somebody in the family. There's a lot going on for a two-hour <laughs> TV movie. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, it's got holiday wholesomeness written all over it. Um, not to, you know, I have a reputation for being, um, what's that word be called when I s- described Gotham Knights? Um, I don't know what's escaping me, but I like to call things down the middle and see both sides of things. So no, if you ask me what my ideal TV movie would have been for the CW to be produced, a Walton sequel would not have been at. But I will say I did some research and apparently the first Walton's movie drew them 900,000 viewers, which is the um, biggest CW audience since April 2021 at the time. So I can see if they're trying to relaunch the network to maybe do what worked before or to do those standalone things that worked before and this worked before. So, yes, I can say it. But do I this time next year, do I want to see a third Walton's holiday special? No, but like kick it off well and. I think that is all the makings of a success. I say through gritted teeth. <laughs> that, that's a big audience pool though. So I get it now. To quote Lauren Conrad, I'm just going to keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> 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 well, you know what? More power to everyone who's going to watch Walton Thanksgiving. I know Happy I will for be you. watching. Over the <laughs> yes. moon for you. I won't be present though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, that was, but hopefully this means that they'll introduce more holiday films that are not the Waltons. Like, Mole, if you're going to, like, take something else, underline that, you know, let's give the Waltons a break. In um, bold, that we want holiday movies, just not the Waltons. I'm going to put it out there now. Kennedy McMahon in a Christmas rom-com. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's just put that out into the universe and maybe we'll get it back. <laughs> <laughs> manifest all right mo you have your instructions carry them back to the executives 
But we do, well, speaking of the CW executives, you know, because hands, the majority ownership has changed at the CW, um, we do have to once again lay the flowers on the grave to the CW that we knew prior to the sale. Um, CW's it girl era, as far as like being a nepotism baby, is silver. And I wish it kind of sad about it, because <laughs> like, it just means that like everything is sort of on the chopping block for the most part, because she's got bills to pay. And, you know, they revoke the credit card. Rent is due. <laughs> she's all grown up <laughs> she's all grown up and she now has to concentrate on getting these ratings and these numbers up i know the milwaukee affiliate station for cw is out there on twitter being the best and in informing like the different fandoms like you you need to watch live it's the most important if you can't watch live stream your shows again you guys it's cwtv.com and the cw app <laughs> Download it to your phone, get familiar with the user interface, get used to those commercials because you have to save your shows. <laughs> you have to watch it now. <laughs> you do. And we, though we do, we're wondering, like one of our big questions is what is the number situation going to look like? Is it going to be like, do they have to hit a certain threshold or like, is it dependent from show to show? I think that's the million dollar question. I go, it's a great time. I know we talk about like the future and try to predict the future, discuss the future of this network just because it's been so up in the air for the past few months. But it feels like now is the perfect time to be talking about these things because we're not just it, it the new era is not looming over us. It's here. Like we're going to be in it and we're going to experience the realities of everything that's been going on. And so to, think now that um, we're in the era where ratings do matter. It's hard to think that these shows will be judged on the same playing field, you know, like, yeah, it seems unfair to judge like, um, I don't know, I guess, Nancy versus Superman and Lois. That's two different audiences. It's two different ratings brackets. So like when they say ratings matter, does it mean they're all being held to the same standard? It's, I don't, I don't know if we'll have a question until we see these things in action, but um, going into the fall season in this new era, it's definitely something to keep in the back of all of our minds. Yeah. And that's the thing I think because CW was known for in, uh, introducing new shows and starting new shows and green lighting new shows, but this is one of the smallest seasons of new shows that we only have three new shows showing up this season and two of them are only debuting in the fall so that's the only real major change of kind of audience we're going to see here i know they're trying new outlets and trying new approaches many of which we aren't seeing yet but i know they're trying different things but at the end of the day the schedule still looks a lot similar to what it did beforehand there's just less shows but the fact is, all those shows that were carried over from beforehand, they're not suddenly going to start performing differently. And how do we hold them to a different standard overnight if they're not doing anything differently, or at least we're not seeing it yet? Of course, the Winchesters, Walker Independence, and Gotham Knights will be the three wild cards that can change things up. But that's still only three versus what nine returning shows. Why are, are the nine returning shows going to be judged differently? Like there's Stargirl bringing in 500,000 a week constantly with very little promotion no half from the cw at all and its ratings are pretty much on par with where season two ended and that might on paper not sound great 
But then you look at the stats and it's consistently been the number one most watched show across the week since it returned. And it probably will remain that way until Walker Independence or the Winchester start or Walker returns. So are we going to judge it and say Stargirl's audience hasn't grown? Are we going to look at it and say Stargirl's the number one show right now? It deserves another season. You know what I mean? It feels like what kind of philosophy are they going for? And when does the new way of thinking kick into place when there's still so many old shows carried over? Especially if they're not factoring how much they're doing promo, because word of mouth here, uh, for at least for the CW, isn't going to work because the way that it's been for the past few years is someone tells you this CW show is great and then people go watch it on the streamer. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like people are really watching live, which is why they saw that discrepancy in the ages versus like who's watching live and who's streaming it. So I wonder if Stargirl is like going to be the tester. If she remains steady at 500K, does that mean that the other shows that say aren't, would you describe her as a tentpole? I feel like she's a good like support, but I don't know if she'd be a tentpole for the CW. Yeah, I'm, but I think she is the tentpole of the season at the moment <laughs> through no fault of her own. But yes, I agree. I feel like she's she'd be one in, in amongst probably those second most famous shows. You have your front runners and then she'd probably be in the level next to that. So then if she's support, I do wonder if like the other supporting shows that aren't the temples will have to hit 500K mm-hmm. and maintain it or go above it, which scares me for some of the shows that are like our newer, like All American Homecoming. Now, I keep mentioning the Netflix bump because I really am interested to see how much of the Netflix audience is going to carry over for All American Homecoming the way that they carried over for All American. Because All American is like the sleeper hit of CW. Um, people tend to, like, they're always talking about like Riverdale and Superman and Lois and The Flash and, and Stargirl. And then you, the All American drop, um, drops on the network with a new season and they're like in the top three like always depending on who else is up there with them so like will that be like the the indicator of what to do like that's that's like who like what are the tiers going to be and hopefully there are tiers like fingers crossed that they're not trying to have every show hit 800k because that's just not fair it's it's crazy to think that they and granted we don't know like what the the plan is, but it'd be crazy to think that they set these expectations going into the season without really implementing any like support to make those changes occur. Like you can't just like decide, oh, we're going to premiere all these shows, not promote them or not um, do anything to help those numbers grow. You can't just like do the same thing. Like, oh, here's our new false slate. We're hoping that the ratings go up. And if they don't like, oh, we're canceling everything. Like it just seems like there needs to be a grace period where it's like a rebuilding season where like we have these expectations. We don't expect them to hit these expectations, but we're going to work toward these goals for these shows. Um, That's just my hope because it would be so horrible if we get these shows back and then they just start dropping the axe because they don't hit a certain mark. And it's like, what did you think was going to happen? Exactly. And then I wonder what the, um, when that they're going to make that determination because the Stargirl cast is going to find out at the end of September, which means their season three was only on for a month. Probably like, is that like they're going to, you have 30 days to so get Netflix your numbers out. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, for Stargirl, it might have something to do with the fact that the season's been filmed for so long and that oh, this okay. should have technically aired last season. So they can't keep the cast hung up and let, without releasing them from their contracts. But at the same time, it was still the CW's choice to debut at this late. There, since the season's been filmed for who knows how long, there is no reason they couldn't have debuted it in July like or June or aug- early August. They chose to leave it here so that she can fight for the fall schedule on her own for a couple of weeks. And she's doing a damn good job. I do want to throw that in there. But they're still not giving her the support she needs to maybe break out of her usual viewership. Like she could thrive if they'd help her do it. I know, especially because like I saw them do a crossover promo with The Flash and um, hold on, what is that that show that Vanessa Hudgens is? Powerless. 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 And like that's wonderful promotion for like the CW seed. Um, But maybe crossover Stargirl and The Flash at the Mm. same time instead. That would have been great since she is actually on and Powerless is not coming back because she got canceled. It's weird that they're promoting a show that's been off the air for like half a decade. (laughs) And it's not even their show. No. And I get like, it's about like licensing and making it worth it that like they acquired it for um, the app. But Stargirl is on. (laughs) (laughs) She is currently Eric and her fate is in the balance. Like do cute DC stuff or something. That's like, it's an audience that's in belt. And I feel like The Flash, for example, has the audience. It's, it's fallen off over the years, but it's still there. Having some kind of crossover or even cross-promotion between the two of them, I, it would do nobody any harm. In fact, it could help. Exactly. I don't know. See, do we just get better at this? Um, <laughs> a lot better. A lot better. Because, Reed, I think you're right. 2022 to 2023, that this season is going to be the tester season. They should be trying to figure out what's working and what's not working and like what type of promo um, is best and uh, what type of promo just doesn't work for certain shows. And they are promoting um, shows. They just seem to only be promoting the Winchesters and Walker Independence. Though Kung Fu, Kung Fu has gotten some promotion. They were in Entertainment Weekly uh, and the posters have dropped. So perhaps once we get into the meat of the fall season, they will improve hopefully it's not just shining light on the winchesters and walker independence and calling it a day for everybody else i want to see more than just like trailers posted on twitter though like i want to see some cast members on kelly clarkson (laughs) i want to see them on i don't know what else is in la that's probably easier to go to i I just want to see them send these stars out and have a higher profile maybe do some like BuzzFeed quizzes or something on YouTube, something more than just like, here's another trailer on Mm. Twitter and we're promoting it to the same hundred people in the same fandom. (laughs) I know. And they could start with like smaller talk shows too. I mean, Jennifer Hudson and Sherry both just started their talk show seasons. It might be easier to get on their rosters than some of the others. Even local shows too. I know. Get on the talk. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would be. I mean, I've seen a few CW stars on the talk. Just go on if you're a CBS show. Why isn't CBS sending their CW stars to the talk? Questions that need answers. <laughs> so many. Um, but speaking of questions that need answers, since we are dividing the future of the CW, that also means dividing like future programming. And I have to say, I do not want the CW to become masterpiece theater. But it seems like we're doing period pieces a lot. 
like, so there's like Walker Independence, there's the Hatpin Society, we're doing the Waltons like every year, apparently for the holiday movies. Like, I love a period piece, incredibly in love with the period piece. The CW is not the period piece network. <laughs> I just do not want them to become that. It's a, a stark shift all of a sudden <laughs> to it's... see all of these period pieces when we're, we used to be in high school and in super worlds and now we're like we've got covered wagons <laughs> <laughs> and soon cobbled streets i mean <laughs> no hate it's a vibe there's definitely um a viewership for it it's just a jarring shift mm-hmm. yeah um, one of the things we'll get to walker independence later but one of the things i admired about the whole production is that it doesn't look like a cw show i don't want to look back in five years and say walker independence was the first of cw shows like that of course have them on the network but i don't want it to turn into this is what the cw has become if you know what i mean it just mm-hmm. doesn't scream cw i think walker independence maybe the hat pin society can stand out for the same reasons that shows like legends of tomorrow stood out of the superhero genre in the future it, it looks like it's it's a show that looks like many others on tv but is nothing like them it's a show that fits into a network that has nothing else like that it's a show that kind of redefines the network without ever changing that that's what i would like walker independence and any other period pieces to be i don't want 10 years from now the cw just to be a network full of period pieces yeah no and it just that would be like the hardest pivot ever it, mm-hmm. um it, feel like it would just completely alienate the fan base that they already have currently and it's just not necessary to do that even as you're trying to um sort of it's the word i'm looking for cater to their yeah. older audiences which by the way older audiences like more than period pieces like yeah. <laughs> they do <laughs> like don't just stick them in the 1800s the 1900s and i guess maybe the 70s i'm all for diversifying their brand and um expanding their demographic but when half of the network is going to end up being like these mature period pieces and they're still saying that they're committed to making like teen shows and superhero shows it's like that's a that's an identity crisis in the making (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) like this this is a channel that used to have a very strong brand and still did up until may 2022 um it's I don't, I don't even, I'm out of adjectives to describe what this feels like as a fan of the network is it's it. I don't want it to be as shocking as it's starting to feel. (laughs) (laughs) No, especially like when you do see like the schedules, like the fall schedule doesn't really look that much like we're used to, but the mid season schedule will. Mm -hmm. So I just want, I don't want 2022, the 2023 television season to be what we're familiar with, with a few changes. And then we hit, the 2023-2024 television year and they're just like everything is new welcome to the new era these shows are final season these are our new gems like I just don't want them to do that and perhaps they won't perhaps it's just you know just the fear of the unknown because they are also still like courting the whole mystery thing Um, and there might be solid mystery blocks coming our way I think that would line up with them I feel like it's different enough that it feels like a more mature network. I remember CBS used to do things like that as well. I do think that that could work because at the same time, they do have shows like Riverdale and Nancy Drew and even the superhero shows, which have elements of mystery in them. Heck, Stargirl this season is a murder mystery. So I do feel like that looks CW enough, but at the same time also could bring in a more mature audience. That's more of a 
finding middle ground approach for me. And I think that one could be more successful, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that, what is it? Is Jake Chang, right? Yes. That's in development at the CW. Hopefully it doesn't get stuck in development limbo because uh, it does seem like it'll be a good, um, what's the word? What comes, uh, something that comes after something. It's not a predecessor. Successor. <laughs> Thank you. Successor to, um, to Nancy Drew and Riverdale. And I think that one is going to remain with no supernatural elements. We might just go straight mystery drama, which CW, don't add ghosts. Don't don't add like serial killers from alternate universes. I think Jake Chang should just be straight through. No gargoyles, we don't need that. <laughs> no, none of that, none of that. I guess we should also mention though that as far as like fantasy storytelling, um, superhero television, is not dead. I know Mark Pedowitz already made that clear um, during the CW upfronts, but I feel like we should reiterate it because I think some people might start getting concerned since the flash is going off. Superman and Lois may be in a holding spot depending on what Warner Brothers Discovery is going to do with their Superman or Superman. I'm not really sure about that one. Um, and Gotham Knights, you know, it's not she's not where people want her to be, but maybe when she airs. But, um, but like, so the, I, I do think it's understandable that DC TV fans who do enjoy the CW shows are a little wary of what the future is going to look like. Yeah, it is. And I, I think it's because that, that line hidden in that article when Nextstar took over, I think it's kind of shaken a lot of people, myself included, in that the deals they have in place with Warner Brothers and CBS lasts just this year. And if they want to renew, then they will. And I can't see them going forward without renewing that because that means they'd lose all of the programming if they decided not to renew those deals. The need, uh, the need, oh, and obviously DCTV is a, a, a section of Warner Brothers that's made the CW so successful. So yeah, it's hard to imagine the network without the likes of Superman, Lois, even Stargirl, even, uh, even Gotham Knights now that has become such a talking point. But will it get past its first season? We'll say. But on the Gotham Knights note, it's, it's based on superhero properties, but it doesn't look or feel like a superhero show. It's very much that Birds of Prey, Smallville, early 2000s kind of show that's we're a superhero property, but we're not really a superhero property. And I don't know if that's what we need in today's day and age. So I do hope that beyond that and that into the next generation, we have more direct superhero shows because we're living in an age now where it's okay to say, yeah, we have superhero shows on our network, especially for one like the CW that literally was overflowing with them at one point. So I do think there's a future for superhero TV and DC TV on the CW, and I hope they see the success in that and carry it forward. I think it'll be calming for people if they give more news on what Justice U is, what's happening mm-hmm. with Justice U, because um, we haven't really received any about, um, other than like, yeah, it's still in development. Like, what does that mean? I mean, because they're like uplifting in society um, and this is a new era and we're doing um, half hour sitcoms. Like, cool, but you have things in development. Can you give us an update on how those are doing? Exactly. David Ramsey is out here at every Comic-Con or whatever, Dragon Con panels, and he is telling people that it's still in development. He's giving people updates. He probably shouldn't be giving up about it. According to one recent update, it may be a different John Diggle than the, the Arrowverse one. It'll be the Superman at Lois John Diggle it's focused on. So it's all very confusing. But um, it, I, I may be tying it to Superman at Lois. It'll make it more ob- likely to get picked up. I don't know. Mm. There's so many rumors about it now, and we'll say. But uh 
I think it would be a mistake not to move forward with that show, given how popular that franchise was. And yes, it might start at 900,000 or 800,000, but not the 1.6 million or whatever the network's hoping for, but you're not going to get there overnight. So focus on things that do draw eyeballs in and don't take as many risks that you need. Don't take risks you don't need to, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but I'm scared, Michael, (laughs) because only because if it's going to be the John Diggle from Superman and Lois, I'm assuming they'll have enough time to build that if we're going to do that. So it won't be like the season two finale where we're like, wait, what do you mean that wasn't yeah. our John? Yeah, I know. I, this is going to get very confusing um, because we thought this was going to be the like the, the Arrowverse spinoff that kept the Arrowverse alive. But if it's a Superman at Lois, John Diggle, it's not an Arrowverse show then. Um, it's a Superman at Lois spinoff instead. So it, it's it's a confusing time. There are so many rumors about which John Diggle it'll be, what universe it'll be set in. And I guess that's a good thing because it's keeping the conversation alive. And I hope it keeps the conversation alive long enough to get it greenlit by the CW. Manifesting. Yeah, Manifesting. we need that. <laughs> we do. Because I, I think out of all the shows that are in development, Justice U is the one everyone keeps asking mm-hmm. about and wants. So they should listen to that. And we've been waiting for a year. There's almost a year now. Yes, it has honestly. I don't want this to turn into the next Green Arrow and the Canaries and the next uh, 100 prequel that it's just been in development for ages and then it's quietly cancelled. So um, I hope the conversation, the fact that it's being kept alive will ultimately lead to it getting picked up. Fingers crossed. Uh, but so what we're going to do next, I guess I'm going to say it's going to be fun. It's a little scary. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> but so you guys we're gonna predict the mid-season schedule some of this is you know what you would expect and some of it is gonna be like us like you know getting some fear out the way uh because it's yeah. a puzzle like it is i've messaged you guys on like two separate occasions just like looking at the schedule and be like where are they gonna put any of these shows <laughs> like, it's just like it's a game of chess that doesn't make any sense Yes. And one of the reasons is because Fridays is off the table. Um, it's Fridays and Saturdays is non-scripted television. Now, if you, if you guys didn't know that, that's what's happening at the CW. So they have like they have Sunday through Thursday to fill their schedule um, in all American Mondays. That's going to remain the same. I don't think anyone is concerned about those two being bumped from their usual lineup. Um, however, Tuesdays, which are usually Super Tuesdays, like the Winchesters is in the 8 p.m. slot and professionals will be off by the time you hit midseason because it's going to have 10 episodes. Um, But if they don't move the Winchesters, that means Superman and Lois could get bumped if they don't hold it, actually, till the Winchesters finishes. That feels like a bit of a deadlock situation where their hands are tied, because I think the biggest issue here is that post-pandemic, we still don't know what the average episode count for a CW show is, so we don't know how long the Winchesters will be on for. But if it is on long enough that it ultimately is still in Superman at lowest slot, what does the network do? Does it move the Winchesters, which I do think will be quite successful? Does it move it to the 9pm slot and risk losing a portion of that audience? Or does it move Superman at Lois, which they've already gotten a guaranteed established audience in that successful superhero slot. Do they move it to the 9pm slot and then risk losing its audience? Because I will say as big a ratings head as Superman at Lois is, in season one, towards the end of that run, the 9pm slot, I think, did affect its ratings. Of course, the breaks didn't help either, but the 9pm slot did affect its ratings. I think the show dropped to like 600,000 at one point, and I don't believe it ever dropped to that in season two because it was sat comfortably in the 8pm slot. 
So do we move the Winchesters or do we move Superman at Lois or do we move them one of them to a different night? It's a it's a risk all or all around. But I do think if the Winchesters are still on when Superman at Lois comes back, that's going to be an issue for one of those two shows. I have no idea. It's like <laughs> like what is it, what option do they pick in this situation? To hold. I think the smart decision would be to hold it. Superman at Lois, I mean and finish the Winchesters out. But I think the only way to do that is if, and I hate, you know, that the CW doesn't give out episode counts anymore. You find out in the middle of the season how many episodes they have. I don't know why that has to be under wraps, but apparently it does. Um, If you hold Superman and Lois to perhaps February and finish the Winchesters out with no breaks, depending on what their episode count is, you can get the Winchesters out of the slot and put Superman and Lois in without there being too much of a shakeup. The thing about it is, how long do you want to hold your tent pole that's in the midseason? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then what, what do they pair with it? Probably an acquisition, since the, it was an acquisition in the nine slot anyway. Crickets. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants the acquisitions um i mean i i'm not going to argue with that i know we all three of us have said hold superman at lois for as long as possible and i'm not saying that to build up anticipation of course it will build up anticipation but the real reason we want superman at lois held is so that there will be no breaks whatsoever throughout its run so i there i think that could be the saving grace here keep the winchester sat comfortably in that 8 p.m slot and let it keep it warm for superman at lois when it returns and then swap one out for the other they don't need all their big hits on at the same time so let one take over from the other rather than sticking them together and making one suffer because of it for sure because then the other option um which i don't think anybody wants is that if the flash isn't moving to the 8 p.m slot on wednesdays after dc star girl um finishes her season you could pair superman and lois in the flash on tuesdays but flash would definitely get the 9 p.m slot um and that's not a good choice either. I mean, they could sell it as Super Tuesdays and it's your two-hour block of superhero television. But with it being the, the Flash's last season, I fear that we'll just have people streaming it next day. I have a wild idea. Okay. Ooh, okay. Let's talk through this. <laughs> <laughs> so what if they put Riverdale back to Wednesdays with the Flash and they wrote out their final seasons together on Wednesdays? They bumped Winchesters to Sundays with Nancy Drew and that was Supernatural Sundays. I like it. Are we following the thread? Does that yeah. make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that I a lot. It. Yeah. Um, I know we were all against Riverdale being on Sundays and now it didn't. I had Riverdale earned in the wrong types of Sundays. It was going up against the Grammys, the Emmys, uh, maybe not the Emmys, the Oscars, WrestleMania. It was hitting everything on Sundays and losing viewers because of it. But like they could plan for that this time around. And at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that Walton special last season aired on a Sunday night and it brought the network its most viewers since April 21. So Sunday can be a good slot if they use it wisely. And I think branding something like that with two mystery shows would be a great idea. Or it supernatural makes it feel like an event, like a mm-hmm. like a block. I know we talked about TGIT separately off the pod it's like you if you brand a block something it makes it more enticing for the viewer and maybe supernatural is not the word to use because it might be a little problematic for the fans of (laughs) that show (laughs) but just with the 
divorcing it from the context of Supernatural, the series, just the supernatural elements in the shows could mm -hmm. be a really, um, a, like a fun programming box, Supernatural Sundays. If they're not going to give me Walker Wednesdays, <laughs> <laughs> give me Supernatural Sundays. It would be fun too, of how they would do the promo. Um, for, Cause you could have sort of, no, I'm just going to be pretending like I'm a director, but you could have you could have um, promo where they cross over in the promos. So like maybe you have a mystery and then um, Nancy walks on a cut screen and then she's in the 70s. Um, it's like, dang it, someone cast a spell again. And then you have Mary Winchester popping out of of a building. I was going to say what building it was, but you can't talk about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's just popping out of a building and, you know, you just have two like really cool ladies who are leading shows interacting before Nancy pops back over into her timeline in the promo. Just the very cutesy things, the way that they did cutesy things for the Arrowverse when all of the superheroes were together and they never met, had never met on their shows yet, but they were interacting in those promos. Yeah, I think that's genius because at the end of the day, think about the views that promo could get and promo of a promo is promo for the show you know what i mean like look back at those old arrowverse uh crossover promos the views the view counts they had from just random people curious about what it means if a trailer like that like a crossover trailer like that could get that kind of views that'd be excellent kind of promotion for the network and for the block and like we know they need it at this point this is the future we want this is the future <laughs> we're divining <laughs> It is because it also brings together the network in a way that they kind of don't do anymore. Um, everybody feels a little separate because uh, the mm -hmm. promo is all separate with yeah, exception, again, of course. Yeah. It's branding that they desperately need. They need to yes. come up with an identity quickly. Yes. And it cannot be that, you know, they're the network with all the different genres. Like you need to have a, a brand. But you can get the through line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if they don't do your brilliant idea, Reed, um, then Flash could be slotted into the 8 p.m. slot on Wednesdays. And then the, the wonder is, like, if Kung Fu is off um, by the end of the midseason, well, by the start of the midseason, if Gotham Knights will slide in after the Flash. It's an interesting one because, again, I think they'll maybe try to use uh, a heavy hitter to draw Gotham Knights audience in and i feel like gotham knights will be a bit more like walker independence and in that there it's a more mature show even though it's desperately going for this edgy teen look it is definitely more going to be more of a mature show than the average superhero show the trailer was quite gritty and unnecessarily grim um so i think it would benefit from the 9 p.m slot rating wise maybe not but I, if you have a strong lead in like the flash or even dare i say superman at Lois, something that gets the viewers there in the first place and lets them then carry over into the show much like we have walker walker independence this season or this uh, uh this uh season um in the fall we could then in the spring have the flash and Gotham Knights are Superman and Lois and Gotham Knights, depending on what they go for. I do think Gotham Knights will need that boost from an established show because, and the curiosity might result in them carrying over because we don't know what to expect from Gotham Knights here, but I think the 9 p.m. slot's probably the right decision for it. I do, though, I want it to be Wednesdays because at least with The Flash, we know there's a Gotham in The Flash. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that like Gotham Knights have become... Gotham Knights would be behind a show that has a Gotham. Superman and Lois hasn't talked about Gotham as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. um, so it just would feel 
disconnected already. I mean, I know the Gotham Knights is supposed to be separate and it's not in the Arrowverse and it's, I believe it's not going to be in the Superverse. Uh, but... I hope so. I hope, <laughs> I hope not. I'm sorry. So like just to have a through line of this, this superhero. So the flash has Gotham. Now we're going to have a Gotham Knights. That would be better to me. Like in my mind, when I look at the schedule, but you know, CW might not care. Mm-hmm. They might just slap it in. It's a DC show. This is a DC show. Have fun. I hope they don't do that. Y'all, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had a moment to think to about it. It was like, nope, don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like pay attention to your programming. But, um, and then Walker Thursdays is just gonna hold tight. Presumably Walker Independence, lovingly nicknamed Wendy, is going to um, either get more episodes and hold or they'll sort of like scatter their season out so that it continues to air with Walker so it doesn't lose their Walker bump. Hmm. I think that's a safe bet. Though pairing those two together was a wise idea. And again, I think Wendy will benefit from the later slot because it's after Walker. Um, but yeah, it, it, all, it does it really, this is the thing, it really all depends on episode count. We don't know what the average episode count is anymore post-pandemic. And Walker, I think at 18 in its first season and then 20 in its second. So I think it'll definitely get 20 again this season. But we don't know how many episodes Wendy has. So if it ends early, what replaces it? Yeah. Again, the answer seems to be acquisitions. So they, I will say they haven't talked about acquisitions. The only thing that I know for certain is coming is Recipe for Disaster, cooking show that Reed has said no to whenever it's brought up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's likely going to land on a Friday or a Saturday because uh, non-scripted being paired with the scripted is not something that the CW does. Uh, and then our last slot which we've called the Dread Sundays, but read your Supernatural Sundays are better. Uh, but I mean, if they want to resuscitate this programming block, they have to put the work in. I keep telling them. I, exactly. How many times can I say it? You can't just flop Riverdale on Sundays and hope that people are going to follow it there because that just didn't happen. No. You have to put a little bit of work in to make a, a time slot enticing to a uh, night of viewer. Mm-hmm. In Drew Crew, that does mean that y'all might have to get used to Nancy Sundays. Um, that doesn't mean she's going there. It's just a prediction. But looking at where the rest of everybody else is, this concerning of where yeah, they might a, put Nancy. It's a Jenga situation. <laughs> <laughs> so she could be put uh, with Riverdale on Sundays. Nancy Drew at eight, Riverdale at nine. And that is the CW midseason schedule. That would be after being compared to Riverdale in the beginning, it would be the weirdest like prophecy fulfilled for them mm-hmm. to be paired up for Riverdale's final season. Part of me doesn't want that to happen, but it feels like they're just gonna be like, I don't know what else we're we gonna put Nancy with. And they're just going to throw them in Sundays again. Um, but I don't know if that'll serve either show. It would be weird for them to have put Riverdale on a Sunday for a whole season and then change their minds. But Again, I who knows? <laughs> it's so it's, it's so stressful. So, like, good luck to whoever's doing the scheduling for midseason. <laughs> yes, and I hope whoever is doing it, you know, is thinking about it. I really don't like. I really wouldn't want it to be someone's like, look, you have an hour to decide. Here are the shows. <laughs> <laughs> Drawing straws. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking about last bows, um, going to pivot to what we're watching. Dynasty, Reed, how are you feeling? 
I can't believe that it's over. It's been the longest season ever, it feels like. So it's kind of um, surreal that it's actually over because it's felt like, oh, we have weeks left until it ends. I'll deal with the I'll deal with that then. And but it's here. <laughs> we were lucky enough to um, screen the series finale before it aired, which was very special as a fan. Um, and I loved the episode. I I think I've said before, like, I have no idea. Like, I couldn't even predict how they would end the show. Just based on how the show is, its themes, its tone. I'm like, do they go out with a huge bang? Do they go, like, heartfelt, tied up in a bow like other shows? And I felt like they did it. I, I mean, I went into it and I'm like, I still have no idea what they could have planned for not only the last episode, but the last scene. Um, so I went in with it into it just like along for the ride. And I was very pleasantly surprised how they decided to wrap up all of their the characters' journeys. And I know we haven't talked about 521, the penultimate episode on this podcast, um, just how things went scheduling-wise. But um a lot of elements from that episode came to a head in the finale. Um I'm going to spoil some things. So here's your spoiler warning, everybody. Um, so in the penultimate episode, there's a new major domo at the manor. His name is Graham. And I feel like he came out of nowhere, although he had a conversation with Kirby at the hospital that made it seem like they were friends. And I was like, I feel like I've never seen this man before in my life. I don't know why Kirby's gaslighting me into believing I've seen him before. <laughs> um, so at the end of the penultimate episode, he he um, kidnaps Adam. And I was like, oh yeah, let's get Adam. But I was like, I don't know why this random stranger has beef with Adam. And like immediately in the series finale, he has Adam like tied up or something. And he, no joke, pulls his face off and it's Steven. <laughs> it's a great reveal. I was dying. It was like, five seasons and we haven't done a face reveal like this. I was, oh my God, over the moon. The one thing I will critique is that they did the face reveal twice mm -hmm. and I, it kind of lost its, uh, its luster the second time because he did it with, um, with Sam. And I was like, I don't, I couldn't imagine being in Sam's shoes and like, oh my God, my ex-husband was just talking to me as another person. I don't, it was a lot. Um, but yeah, I love that how they brought Steven back and how he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do and it was to get revenge on Adam, rightfully so. Did you guys both watch the episode? I've been rattling mm -hmm. up. Yeah. You guys, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really good. I think we should talk about the fight sequence because oh, yeah, I wasn't was ready. It was so good. Uh, I didn't expect to see that in the finale. Um, Stevens can scrap, which was- Yes, yeah, he can. <laughs> they were truly going for it and it was amazing. Adam went below the bell when he said, you're not even a real Carrington. I was like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the DNA says that's true, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like uh, it had to, it, it had to build up to that. I know the biggest thing in the season, the show was dealing with over the years was Steven's random disappearance. And it's like, how do, I know that caused a lot of controversy as well as to why he was no longer part of the show. And there was never really like, an official explanation given was there as to why he just disappeared um i mean not the actor yeah or the character they just adam kind of just like locked him away so that he could take over his life 
because Adam had been kidnapped mm-hmm. as a child and he didn't get the his birthright of being a Carrington. I don't know why he took it out on Stephen, um, but that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> But it felt, it felt right that the finale finally took us full circle and it did explain a bit as to why the family kind of stopped talking about him because obviously Adam was intercepting the letters and everything. And even though you kind of did, there were storylines where you could kind of grow fond of Adam over the years or whatnot, he was still probably the worst character of them all. So it made sense that he was the one out of all of them that got his comeuppance in the end. Because I, I know we all said that none of them are really good people. So can you imagine a happy ending for all of them? But if there was one that maybe didn't, needed to not deserve it it was it was adam so i'm glad it came full circle because i was always a stephen over adam kind of guy anyway so um yeah, yeah i'm glad that's how it ended up yeah stephen was or uh, adam was fun to watch um but it is funny that he somehow is still practicing medicine <laughs> he's a, a a vet now in london which is an interesting choice considering that amanda is in london too mm. so i don't mm. know why they put them in the same city it was interesting um but I loved, loved, loved the scene where uh, Fallon sees Stephen for the first time. I rewatched it so many times because Liz devoured that scene. It was more emotional than I could ever imagine because <laughs> she loved her brother. Like they were best friends. And to I know she didn't really, she says like, oh, I thought about you every day. I want to make you proud. And that wasn't really in the show. So I guess maybe she always had that in the back of her mind um, in Liz's performance. Um, but it was beautiful to see them reunited. The, the people that I wanted to see Steven reunited with the most were Fallon, Sam, which I'm glad they got back together, even though there was like that tease that they were getting married six months later and it was actually Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Alexis, but he didn't really get a moment with Alexis. Mm. Like a Just scripted like scene. That's yeah. Me. Like I know Alexis like gasped when he did, when Fallon did the reveal that he was back, um, but he had never done a scene with Elaine as Alexis. So and he was really really close, Stephen, to Alexis. He was one of like the Alexis. Um, I don't want to say deniers, but he was always like on her side. <laughs> oh, an apologist. He's an artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> apologist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I saw a tweet that was like, how are they going to wrap all of these storylines up? And I think they they did it as best they could in true dynasty fashion. They, they did some of it really quickly, but I wasn't left wanting anything else. Um, besides maybe the final shot, um, and I'll get back to another moment um, that I forgot to talk about, but the final shot with the whole cast together doing a family photo, I was like, oh, that's kind of sad that Sam Underwood, who plays Adam, didn't get to be in that shot just because mm-hmm. his character has been <laughs> ousted from the family. But I love that that final shot with the whole cast to These Are Days by 10,000 Maniacs. I wasn't, I, I like, again, I had no idea like what the final shot could have been. And I had predicted maybe it could have been the, the clip they showed in the promo mm-hmm. with Blake and Fallon toasting to the future. I was like, did they just give away the final scene? (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't it. Um, But what did you guys think of the the final scene? I thought that it emphasized the element of family that was running through the finale. Um, I like that. I think it's Fallon that says, pretend like you love each other. 
before they take the picture. Yeah. Um, it just felt very, it felt like a moment in time with more story to come, even though they did the snapshot of the picture and it kind of spins the way that they used to do, um, and I think in some Theban shows. And I liked that it was all of them together rather than it being, um, you know, just shot of one person or, or two people. It was all of them with exception to Adam, who probably has the picture somewhere with himself photoshopped into it on his <laughs> desk. <laughs> I no, I love that, I have to say. And uh, one, of the undercur- one of the recurring arcs of this podcast has been me slowly catching up on Dynasty over the last year and a half just under a year but i have to say i did it i didn't just watch the finale yesterday i watched the seven episodes that came before it i all caught up on the show so yes i went into that with 100 knowledge before the show and i don't think it could have ended any better than that you got in that one little shot where they were taking the photograph you got to see like alexis arguing with dominique but it was more playful than usual yeah yeah it was like they were enemies for like this season and then they kind of that scene was like they enjoy being frenemies. They, they're always mm-hmm. going to be in each other's lives somehow. And they, as much as like Jeff was like, oh my God, get along. They were like having fun. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. like having each other in their lives. I, that was one of the moments that I really loved in the finale was Alexis and Dominique. Yeah, definitely. Because it feels like it, it gets repetitive over the time. And you're like, just let each other live. But now, now you see that like they're family and they kind of like, they love to hate each other, if, even if they don't like love each other. But I think that was the over the the overarching theme of the finale, and that not everyone gets along all the time. They don't even have to like each other all the time, but they are family. And I think that really came across in the scene where Blake and Alexis were looking for Dax, and he said, "Alexis, I don't like you, but you'll always be part of this family, and I can't let you go out there and get yourself killed." Because their relationship was one of the most important of the show, and you don't get to see it as much in recent seasons. So it was really nice that they brought it back to that as well. It was just if family was everything and the whole Carrington United as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It's interesting because it's a, if I look into it through like a philosophical like lens, like what was this show about? It was really about um, Fallon trying to prove herself against this family name, trying to build her own dynasty, trying to like reacting against her family like i don't want to be blake i want to be better than blake and in the end she kind of realizes she can build her own dynasty but it's nothing without her family like she came to this place of acceptance starting her own family which i kind of love that it wasn't like a huge deal about the kid she just walks in with the kid she's like here's lauren (laughs) which is the name of one of fallon's kids in the original series um and she's like but by the way i need to get my job back (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i I love that the arc of the series ended up being fallon coming to this place of like i'm tired of fighting against who i am who i've been who this family's been and we can start over and um it's better to be together than to constantly be running up this mountain of just like generational crap (laughs) like they can just be like together work together but still it's not going to be perfect they're still gonna fight like it's not gonna the finale like wrapped everything up in a bow and everyone got their happy ending but you just know it's cycles are going to continue it's never going to be smooth sailing i thought that was unexpectedly beautiful for this show which is had people thrown into a fire new faces face reveals like all this crazy stuff 
that it was, it came to a place of vulnerability that you can relate to that, even though it's larger than life. I don't think that could be said any better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, How do you follow that? <laughs> Last thing before we move on. Um, Fallon did sing one final song. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, she shared a song with Steven, which I know a lot of fans are going to love that because the two of them singing together was for the first two, one and a half seasons was a, a big thing. They sang the 12th of never by Johnny Mathis. I had never heard the song before, but wow, what a way to hear it for the first time. Um, I just more so than how great they sounded together and seeing them sing together I'm getting chills. The way Liz was looking at him, mm-hmm. I think it it transcended Fallon looking at Stephen, and it was just like she had been waiting for that moment for so long, as have we. And it was um, a really beautiful moment in a crazy episode and a crazier series. Yeah, that went out on a high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I watched the whole finale with a smile on my face. And of course I laughed at the funny moments. I was like, oh, at the face reveal. But I think overarching, if you look, if I look back at those 40 minutes, I watched that finale with the biggest smile on my face. It was nostalgic. And yes, there was a sadness about it. But my favorite thing about the finale was that it celebrated what the show was. So it was a celebratory smile. It was a celebratory sadness. And uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine the CW without it now. No, I... Are they on DVD? I'm assuming a complete series is coming. Hey, they were, they're released on the, like that manufacturer on demand thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to do a complete series. I would love it, um, but I will be buying season five whenever it's released. And I will be watching the series as much as possible for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a cue to everybody else. Buy it on discs. I feel like I keep reminding everyone of that. Streamers pull things all the time and we don't know what CW is going to be doing. So if you love Dynasty and you do not own it, fix that. (laughs) Support physical media. Yes, forever and always. Cheers to Dynasty. The end of an era. Mm -hmm. They need to have another soap on CW. Or you know what? Since they are big on syndication, Rewind Dynasty from the beginning, CW, and um, during the summers. I would love that. Going to um, Blue Valley. I got the name right. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening um, with Breck and everybody? Not Breck. That's the actress's name. What is happening with Stargirl? <laughs> oh, uh, we have to talk about Sunday. Um, you remember last week the big reveal that Cindy stole the gambler's laptop? So everyone's like, I still believe her. Did Cindy do that? Um, when she's making it very difficult for people to believe her this week because, um, the first thing she did was hack into it and find information that the gambler was blackmailing someone and she sent it to one of the members of the JSA to cause some drama. Um, and uh, Beth, who's also called Dr. Midnight, she has goggles that can analyze uh, information. So Cindy sent the information to Beth's goggles and uh, it started processing the information and revealed that the gambler was in fact blackmailing the Crocs, the neighbors who were trying to turn over a new leaf that get on very well with Courtney's parents. Um, so Stargirl decides that no, we cannot take this information to Starman because he's a loose cannon and he'll go and do the wrong thing. And he's consistently causing drama that doesn't need to be caused. And Cindy decides, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to tell Starman. 
So Cindy tells Starman in the hopes that she'll get his approval, but Starman doesn't like villains. And he's like, you were Dragon King's daughter. I'll never trust you. And you're a two-bit cheerleader who wears green leather and then oh. slam the door in her face. So um, okay. uh, Cindy was not happy, but um, Cindy caused a lot of drama. So um, basically, long story short, guess what Starman did? Yes. He rushed in and caused more drama. The first thing he did when he found out it was, the Crocs were being blackmailed by the gambler was he grabbed the staff and went to the supermarket where they were shopping. And my goodness, the supermarket smackdown we all talked about last week, it was probably one of the best scenes the show has ever produced. The fight choreography was incredible. But um, the Crocs were trying to say they didn't do it. But the Crocs also love a good fight. So when Starman challenged them, they did not back down. And yeah, my goodness, I've said it before. The star Nobody does fight scenes like Stargirl. It's not like the average superhero show where there's like a fight scene at the end of every episode. It's more of a drama that it makes you wait for them. But when they come, my goodness, they're incredible. And I've already seen this, this uh, scene going all around the internet with people praising it. A lot of people are like, might need to tune into Stargirl. It looks brilliant. So again, at least if it does more scenes like that, it gets more positive promo. Uh, but yeah, back to the show. Starman would not back down. He literally almost killed the Crocs until uh, Courtney's stepfather, Pat, showed up in his giant robot, Stripe, and uh, told Starman to back off. And he did. And then he came back home and started roaring at Pat and said, you used to be my sidekick. How dare you overrule me? And uh, Pat said, basically, Starman, you need to sit down. Uh, Courtney sees you as a role model and you can't go off attacking people in the middle of the supermarket. Like, who's going to clean it up? Um, and then uh, Starman discovered that Courtney had once thought that he was actually her father because that was the only explanation as to why the staff would work for her. Um, so then he realized, okay, he needs to be a better role model at this and he should not Wait, be doing this. Is he her father? He's not. She thought he was because she hit her father. Courtney's father left the same night that the JSA was killed. So uh, Courtney, figured, Courtney was like, is this is why the staff works for me. Maybe Starman was my father and that's why he His ran out of me. Starman. Pardon? His name is Starman, so I see where she got Yeah, yeah, used. exactly. <laughs> um, so, but it turns out her father was just a waste of space who then showed up years later and took her it took her beloved locket from her to try and sell it. Oh, um, wow. Of course, Pat, Courtney's stepfather, punched him. And uh, that's when Courtney and Pat kind of started connecting because Courtney didn't like him at the start. But uh, Starman then realized that and was like, hold on a minute, I'm not just a hero here or I'm not even just a washed up hero. I have to be a role model to this girl. So he uh, decided to start being better about it. And then he said, Pat, how can I be Starman again? I don't even have a costume. And Pat was like, you know what? That's a start. Um, and then we'll get back to that. But going to the Crocs, yes, we find out they were black. They were being blackmailed by the gambler. They had a reason to kill him. But it turns out, because the gambler was trying to start afresh and turn over a new leaf. When he returned to Blue Valley, he returned all of the money to the Crocs that they had been paying him and decided, no, no more blackmail. I'm not going to do anything mean because the gambler just wanted to find his daughter. So that cleared the Crocs because they were like, we didn't do it. And he actually returned the money to us. Um, and I think what the, 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 one of the most endearing things about the show is Paula, one, Paula Croc, one of the Crocs, um, she was formerly the villain Tigress. 
she is forming quite the bond with Courtney's mother, Barbara. Um, and the two of them ended up baking last week because um, Paula needed help because she's trying to join the Women's Rotary Club and one of their tasks was baking. So Barbara helped her back last week. And as she came into her office this week, it was like, it's a nightmare, Barbara. The baking was such a success. They want me to speak at the Women's Rotary Club. I don't know what the Women's Rotary Club does. Um, and then uh, when Barbara found out that maybe did they kill the gambler, there was a big like moment where, there were, where the crocs finally opened up. They were like, no, we didn't kill him because we have her daughter back. We're no longer in prison. We don't want to be villains anymore. We don't want to be imprisoned anymore. Um, so then after that, Barbara showed up to Paula's speech at the Rotary Club to show that she was her friend. And I, I think that was a real like, moment because uh, super villain tigress was struggling to speak publicly and she was shaken. And the minute she saw Barbara show up for her, she was able to speak no problem. So I think that's going to be one of the most endearing friendships. Meanwhile, Barbara at work is having problems with her new boss who keeps turning down her proposals. And when uh, Paula found that out, she went and threatened the boss so that he'll stop giving <laughs> Barbara a hard time. So um, it's, it's such an unusual endearing friendship because Paula does not know how to be friends to anyone. Um, so back on the, after, now that that's sorted, we know the Crocs did not commit the murder. That rules them off the suspect list. We've already ruled the shit off. We've already ruled the Crocs off. And now um, Cindy owned up to her actions. She told Courtney what she did. And, but she said that the reason she did it was that she wanted to prove herself to the JSA. And she thought that if she got Starman's approval, the rest of them would approve her as well, which, okay, that's kind of an endearing thing. And Courtney understood that, but said that if she went behind her back again, she'd be off the team, which again is a fair response. Um, and then uh, with the, one of the only other subplot in the episode was Cameron. Remember Icicle Jr., who we talked about last week? He's being set up as Courtney's love interest, but now his powers are starting to manifest. Um, and that's not good because his father was Icicle, the big villain of season one. Uh, but he doesn't know that he thought his father died a hero, but his powers are starting to manifest in the worst ways and it's making him angry. It's making him depressed. And uh, he ended up clashing with one of the other members of the JSA rec. Um, and the two of them ended up clashing because Cameron was mean to a teacher and Rick told him to back off. So Cameron responded by going out and using his icicles to burst Rick's car tires. And uh, he wouldn't talk to Courtney. And, uh, but then in the end, Courtney got through to him. He apologized for being so cold with her and uh, then the two of them went on a romantic walk together and as soon as their fingers brushed he, he pulled away and was like nope can't do this anymore I, uh, because he, he doesn't want to be around her because obviously he can't control his powers is he cold to the touch like Edward Cullen no he's not not yet anyway <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been a good reveal um, but I, it's not a spoiler to say that the promo for next week's episode they're doing an unusual thing with the Stargirl promos in that they're just showing one scene and it's not like just the one scene from the Dynasty finale promo. They're doing something rather exciting with it where they're doing like voiceover as well. So like this week's one, for example, it showed the supermarket showdown and it was like clean up on aisle five, on aisle six, battle, on aisle seven, destruction. So they're quite exciting and fun promos. For next week's episode, it actually shows Courtney go to touch Cameron and he like explodes into it like an explosion of ice. So uh Things are going down between the two of them. Wait, so the voiceover, is it like a voiceover that's added into the promo? Yeah, it was like it was like a woman's voiceover saying like... Oh, was it in the episode? Like, no, 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 not that one, no. Wow. Uh, the woman's voice was, but they obviously got her to record extra lines that they could use in the promo. We've so never seen 
them me neither yeah it was quite exciting promos <laughs> I know. it's quite exciting it's, it's obviously a cheaper one so that they can just focus on the one scene but using voiceover that's quite unique um especially for the cw uh but yes this week's promo it's it's just voiceover from the episode it's the actual clips of audio that were in the episode they're all finding out that things are going wrong with cameron courtney tries to get close to him and then he explodes into ice in front of her so i assume she'll find out that he's uh icicle jr next week um but the big cliffhanger from the episode was Starman learned from his actions. He was like, he can't keep doing this. And he said there must be a clue where the gambler was killed. So he decided to go back to where the gambler was killed. However, because he'd made the agreement with Courtney that they would share the staff and that he would only use the staff when she's at school. He was like, nope, it's nighttime. I'm going to be a better person and I'm not taking the staff with me, which was, let's be honest, probably a very stupid idea. So he showed up to the crime scene. And uh, just as he was doing so, I remember I mentioned in the premiere, somebody's watching all of Blue Valley, the live feed, somebody's watching them all around town. And that's what the gambler discovered when he was killed. And now just a star man went back to the trailer where the gambler was killed. We get a shot of somebody watching the cameras that are placed all over town and you can see their fist clench up and they make like a growling noise. I believe a star man's heading towards the uh, trailer. And then a star man's heading towards the trailer, a very beautifully shot eerie scene where it just shows the back of his head and he turns around slowly and looks up and something fires him up into the air yeah. so nice. high that it takes him a good few minutes to come back down. He bangs his head off the trailer and he's left in a bloody mess. So you're like, star- the cliffhanger is, yeah, yeah, is star man dead? Um, so it's, uh, his fate is up in the air. Whatever did it is obviously very, very powerful because it was able to yank Starman up into the air and then drop him. We also oh, so know it's that not a person. That's interrupting. Apparently again. not. Apparently not. Okay. But we also know it has sharp objects because that's the reason everyone still thinks it's Cindy because she has shivs on her arm and because and that's what stabbed the uh, that's what stabbed the gambler through the heart. But from what we know so far, whatever killed the gambler could roar and it was large. And now whatever's attacked Starman could roar and it was large. So. Uh, going to be an interesting wait next week i say interesting i've seen it but you get the point um uh, i will say next week's episode is one of my favorites it's not a spoiler mm-hmm. to say it focuses more on the courtney and cameron subplot than the uh, murder mystery but of course as we saw what happened with starman in the end of the episode there is still a mystery ongoing and i think that probably the other thing to take into account is that cindy is still trying to hack into the gambler's laptop to get more information after her plot to frame the crocs went wrong cindy uh, she, girl <laughs> she's not doing herself any favors oh, wait so she she hasn't beat the allegations yet no, she, no. <laughs> dang it <laughs> no so uh Yes. Admitted to being chaotic. <laughs> like, I so, need her to beat the allegations. I'm rooting for her. <laughs> so, yep, she uh, she got it wrong. She she told she did. She was she didn't lie. The Crocs absolutely were being blackmailed by the gambler, but she kind of did it to frame them or set them up. But now we but they ended up that. getting exonerated. Exactly. Right? It worked out for them in the end because now they can just be neighbors and carry on with their very weird combat combat centric lives. But. Cindy has now, even though she learned her lesson, she only wanted Starman's approval. She did not get it. And she apologized to Courtney for what she did. Her first thing to do was go back to the gambler's laptop, try to hack into it for some more uh, gossip. So I don't know what information she's going after next, but at I the end of it- I don't she the, knows either. <laughs> no, she's just being nosy. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just a minor business. But, but um, honestly, don't, because it's good television. 
Exactly. It's a lot of fun. Um, the gambler's laptop. I know Reed mentioned he's seen Jurassic Park recently. Do you remember the ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word ah, 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 animation no. when they try to hack into the Thales computer? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, well, that's the gambler's got one of them. Oh, you've got the wrong password. So Cindy's like shaking the laptop, trying to ha- hack back <laughs> into it to tr- try and uh, release the encrypted files, but no success yet. But basically she didn't get the main cliffhanger. The main cliffhanger was Starman. But I do think it's trying to tell us that Cindy will continue to be chaotic in the weeks ahead. Even though she's trying to clear her name, she keeps setting herself up for failure. She needs to stay put. <laughs> Stop <laughs> trying to hack. It's not working out. I want a Cindy. I want a Cindy spinoff sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> she just keeps making things worse for herself. Yes, chaos and shenanigans. But yes, it has been a fun time in Blue Valley, and I can't wait for next week's episode on Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. September twenty first at eight pm on the CW. Yes, watch live stream afterwards <laughs> next day. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, Nancy, our girl, our main girl, um, nine, also a good episode. Once again, I cried because this show is emotional. Yeah. Yeah. What a heavy episode. (laughs) This episode, I wasn't expecting it to be like a one-off or like a, it more so than any of the other episodes, it separates itself from the main story. Like we took Mm -hmm. a break from investigating tiffany's murder lucy's murder or anything and at first i didn't know what to think of it or how to feel about it i enjoyed taking that ride and i was like i think i was overthinking while i was watching i was like how does this play into everything and i was like oh it it doesn't it's just character development for nancy pretty much which i enjoyed seeing Yeah, yeah 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 It was much needed. At, well, much needed answers besides, you know, that she has a wall. Um, I was not expecting to get so much about her mom and her relationship with her mom. And then the reason behind why Nancy puts a wall up. I mean, some of that is her, but also finding out that some of it is a supernatural incident that she had repressed uh, was just honestly masterful storytelling. I think every time like we watch a new episode of Nancy, I just keep asking myself, why wasn't I watching? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a mood. Um, no, the thing I liked about this the most was that it set up her father's relationship with her. It mm-hmm. really highlighted the flaws of it. And it highlighted also the flaws of how Nancy's had to deal with the, uh, the situation from both the father's view and her view, because it was really interesting when it reached a point towards the end and she was like, no, I forgot this information because Simon made me forget. And that was really getting to her. But the father was like, no, you forgot this information because you were traumatized. And I think that was an excellent way of getting both of that, their internal conflict that, that really kind of has been preventing them from moving past, past that. It really highlighted that and shone a spotlight on it because I'm not saying he doesn't believe in the supernatural, but he really wanted her to approach it from a view the world in a real way kind of way. But on the other hand, she couldn't accept the fact that maybe she was traumatized by the experience. I had a really um, fleeting and kind of dark thought in, during the scene where she and her father read the, the note that her mom left her with the map to heaven, um, which was an amazing scene. Mm-hmm. Once again, I will probably praise Kennedy's acting in every episode that we talk about, but she was so present watching Scott Wolf talk. I, I was blown away. Beside the point, 
But <laughs> getting back to what I was saying, when they're talking about the map to heaven, I had this thought because they they did that um, flashback and the mom was like, oh, you'll come and find me and we'll be reunited or paraphrasing. And I was like, is this how the series is going to end? Is Nancy going to die and she's going to be reunited with oh, her wow. mom? I told you it was a really dark thought. I was like, <laughs> I don't want it to happen. But I was like, is this foreshadowing? <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a little heated right there. Um, but <laughs> I also was like, is there going to be an episode in the future where this comes back into play where like she has like a death scare and like she's reunited with her mom, but she comes back to life and she has additional closure that she reunited with her mom. I don't know. That scene was very impactful. And I was like, this feels like it's going to be important later as important as, as it is to Nancy in this moment. I don't know. That was just a, maybe I'm looking too far into it, but I was, that scene, I was like, I was thinking a lot. <laughs> I don't think you're looking too far into it. I think because these writers are so smart about the how they present different like objects in story elements into the show, it just it was very specific that it was the northeast corner of heaven. Right? Like I just I was like, this has to be something that is referenced again somehow. I don't want Nancy to die. Like hashtag protect nancy but i it would be a really i guess strangely beautiful callback mm-hmm. if they ever did do that i don't know anyway let's move past it i don't want to think about nancy dying <laughs> <laughs> but i will say a little bit in the scene though because that's where it got me because of how beautiful that description was in the letter and the reason behind it about that being her like the the um her first health scare uh, and that like how her her mom handled that and how she told her child and I was just like all right such beautiful stories I'm over here like crying because <laughs> like it, it was um Scott Wolf and Kennedy McMahon's acting too mm. um on top of that beautiful storytelling that just really sold it um and it reminded me of um Oh, I don't remember her mom's best friend who is now dating her father. I don't remember her name, but it was interesting that she came back in this episode after she kept looking at their photo, the same photo that's in his office and the photo that's in Nancy's. And I I didn't realize it was going to end the way that it did, that she was Mm going to take the journal information and um, get him arrested. But I thought she was coming to the idea that like, yes, girl, you really got in a relationship with your best friend's man. And though she has passed, you have to contend with that bond and what it means for those two and how you fit Mm -hmm. into it. It's very different. I thought that's where we were going. That's not where we went. (laughs) Yeah. I want to like, what are the legalities of snooping into a, a journal when like, where's your search warrant? It was open on the bed. That's what that's what they were clearing but up like, in the storyline. Uh, and she was allowed I, in the house. It, that's why. I still I'm still not on board. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't believe Carson. Oh, no. But I just didn't want it for Nancy. It just felt like an invasion of privacy. But also, mm-hmm. Nancy, once again, cover your tracks. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are you leaving your journal out open on the bed? <laughs> uh, she was doing so well and then the streak is broken. <laughs> oh, Nancy, yeah, love you so much, but you get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was also heart-wrenching though because it happens after she's finally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then when she's yeah. vulnerable, this is what happened. But she's like, no, I don't want this to be the truth as much as I was looking into it. I was like, she, she was so heartbroken. I felt for her in that scene. 
And Drew wouldn't explain. Not Drew, Carson. Carson wouldn't explain. Well, he's a lawyer. He knows he can't say anything, but the, his silence spoke pretty loudly mm-hmm. for him. And her heartbreak did too. I felt that. I do love though that um, I did get a little Jewish in the moment. Nick once again tried and she shut it down. Um, though I, I love how she was like, I'm fine. But I was like, girl, you have tears in your eyes. Well, he's like, he's talking to you. You're clearly not fine. But he's, he calls her dad. Because he yeah. he knows that she needs someone and she's irritated by it. And I was like, you know what? He was looking out for you. Even though y'all are not together, he does still care a lot about you. And it was great that he sent your father. Yeah. I feel like this episode, when when it started, I was like, is she really doing this again? In fact, you could see her putting up the walls and pushing him away. And it's like, well, you didn't want to be together. What's the point in caring about me now? And it's like when she is scorned, she puts up those walls and then, keeps people out so it was very fulfilling for the 40 minutes that followed to see that it was such like a a character study on why she had become like that and what turned her into it and the trauma she still she hadn't actually overcome because she had forgotten so much of it had happened to her it was an incredible episode and then that's why it was such a heart-wrenching ending moment that she 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 finally put herself out there with the one person she's been very cold towards and then he's taken away from her like that it made it hit so much harder that they spent all that time together in the episode and she kind of spent all that time unpacking things. And, oh my God, you're right. It's heart-wrenching watching that all slip out of her fingers so quickly. <laughs> I know. And like, like in comparison, everybody else kind of got what they wanted. Like um, Bess is is testing her DNA with Owen. Which, which they, I don't tr- the- Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. trust it. Mm-hmm. You don't trust it? I don't trust it. Owen. he he agreed too quickly he he knows what he's doing i just i'm hoping that bess is protected somehow because it just doesn't seem like a good situation no but they were very sweet um and that's why when they when she turns around and grabs the kit and he makes a face i was like dang it owen i liked you too it seemed like she was gonna have a nice cousin and then it makes sense that he would want to test the dna separately if she was you know, playing him, but she's so innocent and cute and just happy to have potential family. And I know I wish George, she had her own things to deal with, but I wish George was present. I wish she had had somebody with her in that scene mm-hmm. to like, cause she's, she sees the best in people. I think best. And she was seeing what she wanted to see with Owen. Like she was like, Oh, cool. We're going to do this. We're going to find out about my past. Because he's thinking, oh, she's going to take us for millions. And she's thinking, I just want to know more about my family. Mm-hmm. So I just wish George was there to be like, you trust this dude? Because she would be yeah. the one to poke holes in it. But George was a little busy. She was. Poor Ted. Well, Ted was fine, actually. Ted was just <laughs> hanging out in the shop. Um, like nothing was going on. But George was losing her mind. And understandably, like I really felt for her on the phone. And she's yelling at the person who's giving her a description of, I think it was a 25-year-old man or something. That was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but the, we don't have a, a nace ship watch, but the ship watch for George and Nick, I don't know what their ship name is. I think the sales are up and we're moving because yeah. Nancy's uh, narration at the end says new mm. beginnings and it cuts to Nick and George looking at each other. 
Yes. And then there's before that, um, when she thanked him and hugged him, which is like something that Nancy just did not do in their relationship. And he got to be with George the entire time looking for Ted. Like there was a togetherness that he just did not have with Nancy Mm -hmm. that you could see upon that hug that he like basically like snuggled into um, how much he needed that. And as and George clearly likes him those looks were were something i'm not sure if nick is all the way there yet but she definitely seems to be there's some sparks i'm interested to see where that goes especially because she has the gratitude of him helping her find ted did you guys think when nancy gets the phone call i thought they were calling her to tell her that they had found ted but it was about ace waking up mm-hmm. mm. I was like, did they not, did, are we just going to assume that she knows that they found yeah, that was weird. Ted? Because I, I was like, so. there's more information to share with Nancy in this phone call, but she was very happy that Ace was awake. I mean, understandably, but I was trying not to read too far into her facial expressions about how she felt about Ace. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get you though, because when they, uh, when George didn't want to admit that she was worried about Ace, it's funny that it's Nancy that tells her like, you should be worried because, you know, um, it's fine to be. I think not Nancy saying it's fine to be worried. And this is particularly about Ace, but okay. Character growth. Yes. I really love this episode, though. And I um, and how like the, it spins back to her first case. Mm. And the, um, <laughs> the spirit's name is Simon for some reason. I have no idea if that is something in folklore, but... You know, I was funny. barely following along with like uh, um with that whole thing. And I was like, you know what? It feels less important to understand what's happening with like this whole situation than it is to understand what's going, how this affects the character. So I was really trying to cling on to that instead of like trying to put the puzzle pieces together for that. I was like, I'll just let them do it and I'll sit here and watch the <laughs> vulnerability and everything unfold. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the thing that's really good about the show, and I know I mentioned it before, is that there's so much story to pull from that even when they do a standalone episode that's removed from most of the story, it's still related to something else that didn't feel like filler by any means. Of course, mm-hmm. we knew about this case from the very first episode when Nancy mentioned that she solved her first case when she was 12 and it, uh, it alluded to that and showed clips from it. We saw some of them same clips in the episode we just watched. But the thing is, it always feels like there's story to pull from and it's still telling the main story. There's just so many layers to it. So yes, we didn't do this, the Lucy aspect of it and we didn't do the Tiffany aspect of it, but we still did an aspect of it that ended up possibly being the richest exploration of Nancy as a character yet. And like, what an episode it was. For sure. Once again, excellent storytelling, even with the um, cuts that they were doing where they kept retelling the same story about what happened when um, she was 12 um, but gave you new, as she learned new information, you learned new information. I gasped when she fell down the stairs. Yeah. Because I thought she had been coming. running. This very cleverly had... shot that you only saw the first, the first, the first time it showed up. And yeah. then you saw the whole information. I think what we keep saying is Nancy Drew is smart. <laughs> it's, <just> like, <laughs> it's like quite possibly the smartest show on CW. Just the way that they do their storytelling is just like peak, peak storytelling feels like a real mystery it does and i cannot wait for episode 10 which wait that means we're almost over do you guys know whether or not season one has 10 episodes or no it's 13 i think it's 16 or 18 oh okay longer and then two and three or 13 
Oh, I wonder why they cut it down. Okay. Um, I think season one, it fell, it happened, like the end of the season was like pandemic um, starting. Uh, so I think that's why it didn't get 22 and then the other two at 13. Okay. Well, then we are still on this ride and I cannot wait to learn more about what's happening in this season. Um, and speaking of learning more about things, we can now talk about Walker Independence in a spoiler-free review. Uh, just like the one we did with the Winchesters, except we're in the 1800s and our main lady is Cat McNamara's Abigail Walker. Um, I, for me, this is my most anticipated release on the CW for the fall. Um, and it's mainly because one, I love Westerns and two, because this is going to be a great vehicle for Cat, And I can't wait to see what she does more in the role. She's, I've, she in this trailer not trailer in this pilot it really sets up the lay of the land for what you're to expect from from abigail walker and i really like the aesthetic of it too and the potential of uh cat's character would you say it was surprising when you watched it because it was for me i know we've been on this journey with the show kind of being like what is this gonna be (laughs) and kind of like not super excited and like even when we were excited, we were kind of like cautious about it. Even going into the watch, I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to feel watching this. And then I was so pleasantly surprised. I was yeah. surprised. I would agree um, because one started in a way I didn't expect it to start. Um, if anyone's seen the trailer, you know, like the basic premise is kind of like with Cordell, Abby loses her husband. Um, but how, how we get to that point surprised me. Um, and then as we go through everything in the town, I was like, this is not playing out the way that I was got, um, thought it was going to play out. We get story information in like fast, um, mm. quickly, really quickly. And I was like, I thought they were going to like spread some of this character stuff out, but it looks like we're right from the get-go. You're going to know a lot about what happens with some of these characters. Yeah. My favorite thing about the show is that it is surprising we knew going into it that it was going to be different. Uh, the Winchesters, it has a similar format from some CW or WB shows we've seen before. They know how to make those shows. I have no doubt that show will be a success because of that format. Gotham Knights will either borrow, borrow from the superhero stuff or some the Smallville stuff, which again, they know how to make these kinds of shows. Walker Independence is definitely the most different show the CW's adapted in mm-hmm. perhaps ever. And we knew that going into it, we knew it would be different. And then the trailer was kind of divisive. I don't think it did it as much justice. And I can certainly say that having watched the pilot back now, I don't actually think the trailer does it as much justice. So it surprised, it was going to be surprising all around anyway. And I'm glad that we went into the pilot expecting surprises and still were surprised by it. Um, it feels larger than life. I referenced that earlier. It doesn't feel like a CW show. There's definitely a cinematic quality to it. Just the 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 aesthetic of it, the way it's shot. It's uh, it doesn't feel even like it's part of the Walker verse. I just it feels very much its own thing. It feels very. It feels there's movie quality to it, and I really like that about it. I really like that it moves fast, as we said, and that you get a lot of character stuff very very quickly, so you know who you're dealing with, and. It's. I think it will continue to surprise people, but no, no, none more so than that. Maybe even the first act of the pilot, it moves that quickly. And I really like that about it. 
there's also more uh like levity than i was expecting i was mm. expecting mm. like a kind of like a dry uh, yellowstone-ish kind of show um the the themes and the stories are kind of heavy like they're dealing with a lot of um big topics and subject matter and to see um i think it's hoyt's character that really brings in some some brightness and some a little bit of humor <laughs> what's it what's the actor's name it's matt bar yeah he's mm-hmm. i think he's really good um he was one of my favorite parts and i was surprised at that too um i i think the show i still stand by that it's kind of ambitious the storytelling that they're taking mm-hmm. but after seeing the product i'm i have much more higher confidence that they can pull it off and everyone is so game all of the actors are so game to be in these roles in this world and they're taking a lot of care so there's just so much potential and i'm i'm excited and i didn't think that i would be saying that about the show so like cw got me again (laughs) it is a it is a big swing um i do think that it's a big swing that's likely to pay off if the story elements that they have in the pilot expand in a way that um, suits suits the show, if that makes sense. Um, like, cause you know, you've seen pilots where it's just like, oh, this, the potential here is amazing. And then you, you watch the um, episodes after it and it's like, dang, they squandered it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, like, I have faith that they're not going to do that. And part of the reason um, is because of the way that they seed history into the show that like might, um, my head will pause and be like, oh, I didn't know that that happened. Or is this person a real person? Or like when they're talking about this certain element, did that actually happen in U.S. history? Like it makes you think a little bit. Or if you're like a history buff, you're like, I know that. <laughs> like, I wonder how they're going to expand on it. Um, and then um, I do love one of the things that they seem to be pushing a lot, at least when it comes to the interviews with the actors, is the diversity and authenticity of of the cast um and they are quite diverse which means that we should be getting like historical points in the 1800s that some people this might be the first time they've actually encountered this history yeah i like that and i think that there's such like an authenticity i believe one of you said it to the storytelling as well that it can absolutely tell those kinds of stories and again this those kinds of stories are what the cw was known for and a lot of people said when a product like windy came along that we may not see that kind of stuff in that program so i'm i'm glad we do i'm glad there's room for diversity i'm glad there's room for representation and i'm glad there's room for authentic storytelling because there is so much potential in a show like this and it's very ambitious right out of the gate and provided it gets the experiment or the the all the thing puzzle pieces fall in the right place. I think this could be one of the best shows the CW has produced in recent years. After seeing both pilots for uh, Walker Independence and the Winchesters, I can see why they put so much behind these shows because mm-hmm. they both have so much identity and personality right out the gate. Like they know what they are, but there's still so much growth potential in both mm-hmm. of them to become just just grow even more, become even more what they um could be and should be so i think is after seeing them both i'm like so on board with both of them (laughs) same and i think that i feel like the winchesters knows what it's going to be um and then walker independence is 
sort of writing its story at the same time, which is very interesting, two different flavors of television that you're going to be getting, which is why I'm going to segue into a, a pop-up green table talk for, for, <laughs> for the fandoms. Um, if you're new to the pod, a green table talk is when, you know, everyone sits down and they listen and we be honest and we be real about what's going on in the network. And for this case, it's going to be about what's going on in the fandom. We know the Supernatural fandom. Some of y'all are split in terms of like whether you support Jensen, whether you support Jared. And that is starting to play out when it comes to how the shows are being talked about, how the Winchesters and Walker Independence is being talked about, at least on Twitter. I don't know what y'all do on other platforms, but at least on Twitter, some of you are very vocal about how you won't be paying attention to one of the other shows, depending on how you feel about um, Jensen or Jared. And personally, um, I would like to say, stop that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let people like there are going to be people who enjoy the Winchesters and Walker Independence and you should let people enjoy both shows or only one show without popping up on tweets talking about how one is going to be trash and the other is going to be amazing you could just tune into the show that you want to tune into and let it rest yeah and people can watch these shows without having seen the original material but that's okay I think we should encourage people to watch shows that they enjoy and it doesn't have to be like this political fandom thing mm-hmm. um it, i think it just takes away from the enjoyment and i think if there are any potential viewers that see those things i think it turns them away from the show so like i mean congrats I th- maybe that's what you're trying to do but I, d- I don't think it's beneficial to anybody specifically not the people that are even saying those things like if the more that you engage with content, like if you hate the Winchesters and you keep engaging with the content about it, the algorithm is going to keep feeding it to you. So it's better to just like actively ignore it and just talk about the things that you like and it's okay. And I know we're probably just like, it's easier said than done, like than just to say this and be like, come on, let's all do this. Um, But I think it's important to reiterate to people because it can just get so it's it just breathes it takes the air out of the room when you go online and you're excited about something and someone's like it's garbage and it's like you haven't seen it so i don't i'm not gonna why why should i listen to that Mm -hmm. definitely and i think it applies to everything and just let people enjoy what they want to enjoy at the end of the day you don't have to have a voice on something or you don't have to ruin it something somebody else's enjoyment of something with your voice at the end of the day if you're going to enjoy one more than the other, enjoy one more than the other. If you don't want to watch the other one, don't watch the other one. Nobody's forcing you to watch both, but no one's also forcing you to watch either of them. Pick your side and pick it quietly. You don't have to ruin somebody else's enjoyment. At the end of the day, content is there to be consumed by those who enjoy it. If you don't want to, simply don't. It's as simple as that. If you do have something critical to say, make sure you're actually saying something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you have something that adds to a conversation, maybe you don't like a certain aspect of it. That's okay. Just as long as it's not like being negative for sport and for fun. Like that's, nobody wants that. No. And like a prime example of that, like this is not towards the people, at least for the people who are interested in the Winchesters, but are Supernatural fans and um, are wary of the show. Like we totally get that. You had 15 yeah. seasons of your of your show and you're worried that this, um, that the Winchesters, which is going to be out of canon until they can snap it back into canon, you're one. You're worried that it's not going to 
do what it needs to do to make the story make sense by the end of it. Um, like that worry is understandable. This is directed towards the people who like out the gate are just don't want to give the show a chance and are saying things to people who do want to give this show a chance um, and ruining the fun of it. Like, um, like there's being concerned and there's being the person who hops onto like other people's tweets who are excited telling them they shouldn't be and that the show is going to be um, trash and that it's going to be canceled and it doesn't deserve to exist. If you believe that um, no no Dean, no Sam, no Supernatural, then you believe that. But like, don't tweet that under people's tweets who are excited about it. There's no need for that. Absolutely no need for that because it just ruins other people's excitement. And that's not fair. That's not productive in the slightest. Yeah. So I don't know. Be merry. Enjoy the things that you enjoy. Don't watch the things that you don't think you're going to enjoy and just let other people be happy. Period. Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna be there. <laughs> so, like, so when <laughs> join us or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll be in the Winchester's era. Let's go. <laughs> yes, we will be doing reviews. Like, in case you guys did not realize that, we will. They will drop weekly. We will be giving our opinions on both Walker Independence and um, the Winchesters. To be frank. Michael's the only one who's even seen the majority of Supernatural. So the Winchester's uh, reviews are going to just be a vibe and us liking the story for what it is. Michael, I think you paused. Or is that me? Is my connection like terrible? Can you hear me? Okay. You. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know when it gets cut out. You're just gonna, it's, you're smiling in the photo, so it'll I be I mean, fun. that's kind of good, but like- Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll just, we can run through the outro real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, thanks for joining us as we divined the what's next for the CW. We are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. I think I'm Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.